Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician and so are you. Welcome to another episode of the Entree Musician Podcast. This is the place where we concentrate on the mindset, the discipline and focus of the Entree Musician. want to start out by saying again, as we are podcasting through uh, what is known as the COVID-19 era, the era of the coronavirus, that you and yours are safe and healthy as you listen to this podcast. Um, this is real. This is happening. These are unprecedented times. Uh, I've had uh, a number of people whom I know and love who have um, battled uh, corona in the hospitals, had some friends and relatives who have lost loved ones as a result of their losing their battle with corona. And um, my heart goes out to all of them. My heart goes out to you. Perhaps you know someone who is struggling even right now. I do want to express my sincere prayers uh, to you. This is something that uh, we pray and uh, we ask God to uh, intervene. And there are many, many voices out there that you would hear from either opinion or theological debate or philosophical debate. I mean, it's just it, it, sometimes it's good to just turn the voices off um, and to just settle in and do some introspection. You know, we are entree musicians and we often, you know, get to the why as soon as we can. That's that's what we do. That's our conditioning as creatives. Uh, but when we can't find a why to something, you know, it's still necessary to say, OK, well, what should I do? What can I do? And what I would suggest, if you would take my suggestion, is to do all you can to make sure that you are safe, you are being cautious you are following the guidelines and make sure that your family and those you love are being as cautious as they can be as well. I know that in our state, the state of Ohio, we have a stay-at-home order that's in place. Um, I don't know where you might be listening to this broadcast from, but if you have a similar order and you don't have to leave your home and you can self-quarantine and you have all that you need, um, please just just take, I know it sometimes can be stir crazy, but just take the time to do it. So I just wanted to speak from my heart uh, and not just get right into the episode. I am excited, however, about what we're doing in the series, uh, which is you and your band. It really has given me a lot of opportunity. Uh, I was talking about introspection before to do some myself to remember what it was like on both sides of the fence of being a leader of a band, of being a side man. And uh, of course, you know, the wonderful experience that I had with Sound Doctrine for so many years. And, um, you know, thinking about the mistakes that I have made and uh, what I would absolutely do if I was counseling a uh, new band on the horizon. So what we've done in this episode is we've created a hypothetical band called the Hilarious Bonfire. And our fearless leader of this uh, five-piece band is Sally. And um, we've coached them in their initial conversations, how they should handle their first meetings, the questions they should be asking, uh, how to construct their rehearsal, how to set up their band, and uh, even on to what they should be looking for in a manager. 
Well, today we're going to discuss one of probably in most of their minds, these five unconventional creatives. What we're going to share with them is something that they've been thinking about (laughs) from the time that they got together, and that is how much money are we going to make? And they mean that in the long run, they mean that on a nightly basis, they mean that per week, they mean that when they go on tour, uh, how do we set an appropriate price for our band and our structure? And that's what we're going to discuss today. What price is right? There used to be a game show, perhaps it's still on the air, but the price is right. And uh, that's what we want to uh, talk about with respect to uh, our band. What price is right when we begin talking to these club owners or our manager does so on our behalf? What price do we ask for? But before we do that, as you know, we must do this. All of everything we do here at The Entree Musician, from our website to our videos to this podcast and other things that we have on the horizon, is wonderfully sponsored by the wonderful people at Vocal. They are great people. It's a great beverage. It's the only beverage on the planet which is designed to soothe, refresh, and restore your voice. If you talk all day or you sing all night, you got to get yourself some vocal. Go to drinkvocal.com to learn more. Yes, drink vocal. That's a, that's a great beverage. But what price is right? Now, here's something interesting as we unpack what price is right. I'm going to do so without naming the price. That's That's difficult for me. The onus is on me. And I thought long and hard about uh, how I would talk about money and what you should be charging as a band without mentioning an amount. And I settled on not mentioning a dollar amount for this very reason alone. And that is, it really does vary, um, obviously, from beginner to intermediate to professional. The prices just do. They vary. And for me to say, for example, well, you should be charging $500 for this or $500 per man or per person for this, or you should charge $5,000 for that. It really does vary from band to band, from situation to situation. And so what I'm going to be unpacking are the parameters. When you set your price, first of all, what you should be looking for, what you should be looking to accomplish, and what you should be expecting from the other party that you're doing business with. So we're going to open up the can, uh, but you won't hear me say, oh, this is absolutely, if you don't do it for this, then you're stupid. You know, there's not going to be (laughs) any of that because it's going to vary, as I said before. So obviously, before we approach this subject, we're assuming that you've had the conversation about what type of band you are, whether you are a cover band or uh, whether you're an original band, whether you are a hybrid of the two, uh, you've already discussed why this band exists. I mean, is this a weekend thing? Everybody works their nine to five and then on the weekends you just jam it out and, uh, you know, there's one price associated with that. You really don't care because there's some extra money on the side or is this your career? Is this your life? Is this what you were born for? And is this your purpose for why God placed you on the planet? If that's the reason, then obviously it's a totally different situation. 
And you want to factor in your short and long-term goals. I mean, we've covered all of this in previous episodes, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. So here we go. In pricing, here's what you want to do. You want to predetermine what you wish your value to be and not what you think it is. Now, my wife is a realtor, and she reminds me all the time that value is never what the seller says it is. You're selling a house, the value that you set for the price that you want to sell it, it's never what you say it is. It's always determined by the buyer, the one who wishes to purchase the home. So say, for example, you want to sell your house for $100,000, okay? So what realtors know is that you can spot a pattern if there are three or four prospective buyers who who come to look at your house and they make an offer $5,000 or even lower than what your price is. So you want to sell it for $100,000, but you got three or four prospective buyers, you know, immediately going $5,000 or below, you know. Uh, You either need to drop your price or you need to do things to improve its value. I hope you catch that. So you want to sell it for 100 grand. They're thinking it's worth 95 and you got three or four people uh, who want to buy your house, but they're not going to pay 100,000 for it. And you can either drop your price and go, yeah, okay, that's cool. Or you can say, well, you know, uh, I'm going to do the things that my realtor suggests I should do. Maybe that's curb appeal. Maybe that's a new paint job. Maybe that's a new water tank or new roof or whatever it is that you must do to say, I know that my property is worth 100 grand and that's where I'm standing and not bending. Okay. Now, the most unfortunately glaring aspect about the music industry is that it's unregulated. In most cases, the rules go out the window and the odds are always stacked against the artist. You know that. (laughs) It's always stacked against the artist, which is why even among the most celebrated artists like Prince, when he was alive, he wrote the word slave on his face, if you can remember that. He did that to represent his dissatisfaction with the biggest major label in the world at that time. So he had to become just as incredibly creative in his business sense as he did musically. Now, of course, why he didn't leave a will, you know, and he left all of his royalties to chance is a bunny trail of digression that I'd rather not explore at this time. But my point is in selling your house and in pricing your band, There is a common thread by which you must do certain things in order to improve the value of your music, the value of your artistry, the value of your presentation, so that you can get paid exactly what you need to continue to move the needle forward. Now, you already know that in the music industry, being that there's so much stacked against you as an artist, you really must fend for yourselves. You have others who are making the rules for you. Now, of course, early on, record labels set the pricing for what your album or CD would sell for. And also, especially, how much of a percentage of that sale you would get. iTunes was the one that set the 99-cent standard download. You know, uh, nobody could go to iTunes and say, look, I think this single should be $3.39. No, if it's being sold on iTunes, it will be sold for 99 cents, sir 
ma'am. Then, of course, Apple, Pandora, Spotify, now YouTube, Amazon, and Facebook. Everyone sets the rules for you. Now, of course, yes, it's their platform. They own it, but too few musicians step up to say, hey, you know, we have some bargaining power too because our music is helping to drive people to your platform. We all remember, this has been about six, seven years ago now, the Taylor Swift situation and others who stepped in, the Jay-Z's and whatnot. Well, we're just going to create our own platform. But it kind of all comes back around to the Spotify, the Amazon, you know, the Apple Music, all of that determining the factors for how music, recorded music, I should say, should be presented and what the price points are. And again, as I said, too few musicians step up and go, okay, we want a better deal. We just kind of drink the Kool-Aid. That's, that's truth. And it's also true in the live performance arena because people need a place to go. They need a place to go to escape how well we know that uh, during this corona season. But live music, as compared to recorded music, has intrinsic value to the space, to the ambience, to the atmosphere of the particular venue that you're playing. And the odds even then can usually be stacked against the artist. So the band says, this is how much we charge, right? And the venue owner says, well, this is how much I'm willing to pay. Or in some cases, this is how much I can afford to pay. And generally, <laughs> generally, I want to say 80 5% or better of the time, those prices don't agree. And his or her price, I'm talking about the venue owner, is a lot lower than what you said you would perform for, okay? Now, there are some parameters here to unpack that you need to take a look at so that you can get your foot in the door properly without eating your shirt. So number one, the first thing to do after predetermining what you'd like your value to become is to consider your geographical area. How much are the top bands in your area earning? What are the top venues for artists at your level? And what is their draw? What are they making at those establishments in which you wish to be performing at also? Who frequents them? You know, one thing to do, and this is very good advice that I took, is to do a parking lot tour one Friday evening. You know, just for some research. You know, and by that, I mean, go through the parking lot of that establishment. What kind of cars are they driving? You know, are they mostly BMWs, Mercedes Benz, Cadillacs, <laughs> Jaguars, you know, or are they driving Kias like me? You know what I mean? Don't laugh, right? I drive a Kia 193,000 miles on it. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, but you know, you want to do a parking lot tour. And then you want to also go inside and find out who the clientele are. You know, you go through the establishment a few times. You learn your way around. You're not in a band tonight. You're just a customer, right? You get the names of the decision makers and you make nice with them and you check out the other customers. You know, you hang out, you know, check out the performance of the band that you're trying to not necessarily destage them, but uh, get on that same stage one night and check out the crowd response, you know, check out the merch table and just observe, you know, obviously if you can find out or you can figure out what these artists were able to receive on their wonderful evening, you make note of it, right? And then you pick two or three other places and you do likewise. Next thing you want to consider, number two, 
is your tribe power. Now, if you haven't read the book Tribes by Seth Golden, stop what you're doing, order it from your favorite bookseller and uh, get it because Tribes really does teach you a lot about, you know, your family. One day we're going to do a podcast in this series and I've already been working on it called Fans, Followers, Friends, and Family. Okay, so um, the, the nucleus of that came from uh, Seth Godin's book, Tribes. But anyway, I don't want to digress. Make sure you know how many of your people are in your region or in the regions you plan to perform in. How many can you guarantee to come to the show? How many? You know, uh, is it 100? Is it 150? Is it 300? What's the number? Additional determinations to these factors are how many consistent streams do you have? Or if you have radio airplay in your format or perhaps have written or produced a song for a more famous artist. I mean, those are parameters that you have to consider when you're mapping out the price for your act. How big is your email list? I mean, all of these things, this research is your responsibility. And what are you doing about 12 weeks out to secure the attention of your tribe, of your people, so that two weeks before you or your manager have the initial conversation with the venue owner, you can guarantee him or her that two thirds of their club is going to be packed. And if you can make that guarantee, then are you willing to take a draw from the door or receive a flat rate? Is food included in the rate? I mean, does the facility supply the band with food before showtime? Does the venue take a percentage of your merch table? These are questions that you have to have at the ready so that as you negotiate your price, either a percentage of the door or a flat rate, especially if the rate is far lower than you were anticipating. Okay, well, what about this? What about that? What about that? Perhaps we can do this, but we keep 100% of the merch table. Perhaps we can do that, but why don't you guys settle for, you know, some, uh, you know, free wings, free burgers or something like that. That will just, hey, you know, we're playing for this. We, we made the club, <laughs> but, you know, these are some of the concessions that we need and they have to be factored in before you have the conversation. OK, and here's a good place to say this. Do not, my friend, be afraid of negotiation. Negotiation is not a dirty word. Often as artists, someone says, and I'm just going to mention this hypothetical dollar amount. They say, we're going to pay your band a thousand dollars and you want it twenty five hundred hypothetical numbers. Use them if they apply. But if they say this is the price, then you know what your band is worth. You know where you are going. You know what your goals are. You know what you are doing to improve who you are. And let me tell you, if you know that you have these positive factors in place and you can prove them with your streams, with your email list, with industry credits, with other artists, whatever it is that you can bring to the table to bring value to your presentation, you have to make a calculated decision. But don't be afraid to say, okay, well, you won't meet my 2,500, but if you met 2,000 and begin that thing and don't be afraid to walk away. If it's something that is insulting, get up from the table and leave. Now, listen, if none of that works and you refuse flatly, listen, if you are patient, 
If you are good, then you will have an opportunity to play that place, no doubt, no doubt whatsoever. Now, thirdly, another thing that your band should consider is your configuration. Now, make sure that you can reconfigure your band any way you need to in order to get the gig. Now, we're using that hilarious bonfire, our hypothetical band. They are five members strong, okay? But they want to really get into a certain venue, and the money is not enough. And they've gone through the negotiation, and, you know, somebody called, like, hey, I think you need to talk to the guy again. I think he's willing to consider you. You know, you might want to consolidate the band down to a four-piece or three-piece. Now, again, this is a conversation that this band has already had because the goal is building up your reputation so that you can be hired back at full scale. So, for instance, you can make it an acoustic piece. You can make it an instrumental set. You can make it singer-songwriter. Whatever you have to do that will make that band's name stick in the minds of the audience and stick in the mind of the club owner. And the more you play that place, you know, and the more the crowd digs you, you can begin adding to the set and adding to the price. Makes perfect sense. Now, uh, Sound Doctrine, my band, we had a uh, festival 115 years ago back in Columbus, Ohio. And we, we were six piece and we split the band into two trio pieces playing two separate stages 30 minutes apart. It was a pretty cool situation. And while we were paid as one band, one check to one band, we doubled our exposure. So here over on the east side of the pavilion, Sound Doctrine Trio was playing and over on the west side, of the different pavilion Sound Doctrine was playing. And so there were two different crowds checking us out. But we had decided to do that beforehand and it was just a way to get more exposure. But now, since I bring that word up, exposure, I wanna be very clear that we're not talking today about promotional performances, okay? We'll do that in another episode. That's its own animal and it needs its own focus, all right? Right now we're talking about getting paid but that was just a way where exposure worked to our advantage, okay? Now, number four, when negotiating with an event planner or a venue owner, you want to know that the time that you have on stage for a paid event should not decrease your price because many of them will say to you, hey, it's only a 20 minute set or it's only a 40 minute set or whatever it is. So I'm not gonna pay all that money for 20 minutes and you have to remind them hey you know what <laughs> it cost us as much for a 20 minute set as it does if we were on stage for two hours or if we played four 45 minute sets which is kind of common in the uh, jazz scenario you know sometimes it's three sets sometimes it's four but it cost us just as much. We might as well be there all night because, hey, we still had to rehearse. We still had to break down our equipment. We still had to load in. You know, once the performance is over, we'll still have to break down our equipment and leave. You know what I'm saying? So unless they are providing full backline, you know, especially when there's travel involved, they are supplying you with some travel amenities, perhaps a hotel room, some food, something like that 
then you can say, okay, well, I know this is only 20 minutes. I know we don't have to bring a thing but our bodies and our t-shirts and boom, you know, we can do it. And then that's settled. Another thing that I've learned, it was a huge mistake and it is an aside to getting paid, but I think it's a good time to put this here. And that's never, ever, ever cancel a gig, <laughs> ever. You should never cancel a gig, especially if you're configuring, like I said, and you're practicing like it because if the singer has a sore throat, that doesn't call off the gig. If the saxophone player, you know, uh, his wife is having, you know, his first child, you know, praise God, you can still go and do the hit. You never call off because you have the flexibility of reconfiguring your band. But now the way that I did it, and I learned this the hard way, was due to weather. There was an outside performance, and I thought that I would do my fans a favor because most of the day, I mean, we woke up, it was thunderstorming into the early afternoon. The gig was at seven o'clock, you know, so by, you know, two o'clock, I'm calling the promoter like, hey, I think we should call this thing off. Now, she didn't call us. I called her. And she was like, you sure, Jerry? I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't think anybody's going to come out. You know, I mean, just look, it's been just a, this drizzle and we're playing outside in this, you know. Now, the one thing that's interesting about the place we were playing, uh, it was called Anthony's on the River. And there was a restaurant inside, but where the bands played, they had a big, huge deck stage. Wasn't covered, but it was outside, right? So I tell you what, <laughs> interestingly enough, and ironically enough, people still came. They came and they were served their food and they were served their drinks and they were charged for it. And then after everybody was done, full restaurant, full house and ready to go out onto the terrace, onto the deck, you know, they were told we were not coming. Now, mind you, what had happened between two o'clock and seven o'clock was a major miracle. It's the clouds rolled away, the sun came out, it was a little humid, but it began to dry up stuff, and that deck would have been ready for us to jam on it at seven o'clock. So I had egg all over my face. Our fans were mad, <laughs> of course, because yo, you know, they, and, and that was the whole deal. You know, we were being paid separately, but they still went in, they ate, they had a big tab, and there was no show afterwards. Okay, I also had egg on my face because of my band. So that was a huge mistake I made. Now, the next time this lady hired us, it was also an outdoor event downtown Youngstown in our city. And we were in near tornado weather, but we came to the site. We began the load in process. And this dear lady came out with our check. She paid us for the night. I in turn paid my guys and we went home, okay? So that taught me never, ever, ever, ever <laughs> cancel a gig. Don't do it. If the promoter does it, if the venue owner does it, fine, that's on them. And in many respects uh, that are not emergency related, you know, you're gonna get or have a deposit or, you know, they're going to pay you a percentage of that, if not pay you in full. So consider that. Number four, I think I'm on number four or number five, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I hope you've been counting. But uh, please pay your invisible band member. All right. Now, you have you, you have your five piece, you have your manager who's taking 
his or her 15% cut out of the performance. So uh, you also need to factor in that six person, your five piece band, you have an invisible member. And what you need to do with that person's draw, that invisible member's draw, is to take into account gas, food, lodging, equipment, drumsticks, strings, cords, anything that can come up that you say, oh, you know, we've saved over time because we've been gigging every week. And, you know, our sixth band member is one of our favorites because that band member can supply all that we need to do when a string breaks or a drumstick breaks or, you know, we need gas in the van to do this, that or the other. Can you dig it? So make sure that when you're pricing yourself, you've just added a member to the band and that's an easy way to make it now. So that, that means everybody's getting their draw. And over time, you know, of course, in the early days, they'll all have to put gas in their car. They'll all have to stop by whatever uh, restaurant they need to get something to eat either on the way. Unless, of course, as we've talked about, you negotiated that in earlier. But for the most part, as it comes about, you know, you have X amount of dollars in the bank account that will take care of these needs. So do that. Pay your invisible band member. While I'm on this subject, it's funny to me that musicians never consider markups. I mean, any store anywhere has significantly marked up that bag of potato chips or that bubble gum. But musicians will sell their souls for the joy of playing music and then have nothing to show for it 40 years later. But wow, they could really play that guitar, right? Or they could really play that piano or saxophone or whatever. But no, entree musicians are different. We understand that we are in a business. We understand that there is real value. Not only do we help motivate others through our music, through our art, not only do we encourage, not only do we bring joy to the human spirit, but we also understand that we should earn a living for what we are providing to others. Now, number six, I guess. Always ask for payment in your agreement. Now, you do have an agreement, right? You, you did come to the table with an agreement in your negotiation after you settled on whatever draw you were taking. You always ask for payment immediately after sound check, not after the performance. Can you dig it? Sound check is proof enough that your entire band is here and we are ready to play. Okay? Everybody showed up. Sounds good. We ran through a couple of numbers. Now we should get paid now. Okay? Never after the performance. Now, repeat after me. Everybody turn the podcast up and repeat this after me. You cannot repossess a performance. Say it again. You cannot repossess a performance. You can't take it back. You can't sue for it. You can't get it back. Once it's there in the atmosphere, into the hearts and minds and the ears of people, that's it. You can repossess a car, you can repossess a home, you can repossess recording equipment, okay? But you cannot repossess your song once you have sang it. So you always get paid at soundcheck. All right, 
Hope I drilled that one home. Okay, number seven, private performances. And, you know, there are corporate gigs or wedding gigs or other showcases. You know, you never tell your price first. That should be another one you should repeat. Never tell your price first, especially at private performances, corporate, wedding. You always ask what their budget is for the event. My mistake, my mistake telling my price and then they were ecstatic <laughs> because they could have paid hundreds more, but I was already out there standing on my tongue. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, I tried to pretend that I wanted to give them a big discount. You know, I'm looking stupid, man. Yeah, you know, we really love your services and, and so, you know, but do you think they invited us back next year? <laughs> no. No, no. And we did great. I mean, the show was great. We gave them a killer performance. But I'm sure, and I, I may be assuming this, but they probably figured that they would, you know, really go with professionals, you know, the next time. Because some people see a really, really low price as you're just amateurs. You know, our budget was for, boom, you know, $3,500 or whatever. And you guys said, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll play for, for $900. Oh, well, okay. You know, I mean, we'll enjoy the show. You know, it'll go back to, you know, back into our budget for next year or whatever. And uh, give you guys a shot. And wow, that was great. Next time we'll hire professionals. So you, you, you have to, this whole idea of pricing must be mapped out and considered with a lot of thought is, you know, I mean, again, if you're just out there to have fun, you know, this podcast is doing little for you, but if you really want to make some money and if you really want a career, then hear what I'm telling you is true. And you have to be very, very considerate about moving the needle forward as a band. You will find out that if you do this consistently, you will be respected. You know, professionals will respect you. Venue owners will respect you. Managers will respect you. Booking agents will respect you. You have your contract agreement. You have your goals at hand. You are ready to negotiate. You know who you are. You know what you bring to the table. And you're not looking sideways at them. You're looking them straight in the eye. And you can say, well, you know, these are the concessions we're willing to make. You can say these are the things that we offer, which are going to add even more value to our performance at night. Your club is going to be rocking. Uh, people are going to be coming back by the droves and you know it. You can stand on it. Man, I tell you what, people will respect you. Absolutely right. I know I went off on a little tangent there. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but, but this is absolutely true. I speak from experience. So when you're working with an event planner, always find out what their budget is. And in some instances, even after they tell you, oh, it's $3,500, raise it by a hundred or two, you know, which they will probably have some wiggle room on their own too. Well, you know, if, if they're willing to pay 3,500, and again, this is hypothetical. I said I wasn't bringing in numbers, but throwing this out there, if they're willing to pay 3,500, maybe they're willing to pay 38, try it, can't lose. And also in private engagements, see how much more value you can add to that event planner. Say they're looking for a DJ as well as a band. Well, hey, we know a DJ. And in our case, Sound Doctrine, our, my brother-in-law, the bass player was a DJ. So it was like all in. 
we can fix this. They may be looking for a comedian or a juggler or someone who does special lighting or the right sound person, you know, to handle the entire event. Hey, if you know these people, if you have relationships with them and you trust them and you can recommend them, the one thing that will happen is you become more valuable in the mind of the event planner. And so the next time they're looking for a band or the next time they even are thinking about maybe they can't afford a band, but they can afford a DJ, then they will call you and say, hey, I, you know, I got the DJ's card or, you know, do you have somebody else? Or, you know, we're looking to do this, that or the other. How can you help? And you become an important, valuable resource to them. Make sure you do that. You are the one stop shop. So that's going to be it for today. I tried my best not to mention a price that you should charge. You should charge this because again, as I said before, I'm just trying to create some parameters you will find helpful and be able to do a stellar job, be able to knock it down and to continue moving forward. So yeah, you used to play Joe's Cafe. And maybe from time to time, because of nostalgia, you will still stop by and play Joe's Cafe. You don't diss the people or diss Joe for that matter, but you keep moving forward, you keep moving ahead, you keep moving upward. And upward means I'm not afraid to ask for what I want because just like the realtor story we told you at the beginning, there is a price that people are going to be willing to pay. What are you going to do about it? If you continue to improve yourself, improve your presentation, improve your negotiation skills, improve what you bring to the table, you will be paid more. Never fear. Never fear. Never fear. All right. Hey, I'm enjoying this series with you. We have several more episodes to go before we back out of it. I absolutely ask you, share. I ask you to like. I ask you to tell everybody you know and seven people you don't know about The Entree Musician, about our website, about these podcasts, about some of the videos that we post. Tell everybody you know, okay? We are building community here at The Entree Musician. You can also donate to what we're doing and I would appreciate that. I will put the link to the Cash app in the show notes or it's just dollar sign The Entree Musician, but I will put that in the link to the show notes. Uh, for you and anything that you can provide to help us to continue doing this, we would absolutely appreciate it. I hope it's been a blessing to you. It's my honor to come before you. Oh, I forgot to tell you too, that you can definitely reach out to me directly at theentremusician at gmail.com. And you can also text me at 330-718-JERE. That's 330-718-JERE. Love to hear from you. Love to hear what you dig about the entree musician. I'd love to hear what you don't dig, what you don't like, what you may even hate. Hey, man, I hate your voice. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is, man, it's all good. We're in this together. Peace and blessings to you again through this incredible time. Stay safe, stay healthy. Again, my name is Jerry B. I am the entree musician, but so are you. We'll see you next time. God bless.